Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Just because something is old does not mean that it should automatically be assumed that it is old-fashioned or outdated. That may be true of radar ranges, but it is not true for our understanding of the family. What defines a family, and what are the expectations of the members of the family? We live in a world where the very definition of family seems as if it's being rewritten right before our very eyes. But as we're going to discover in our series beginning today, God long ago defined what family is and what the roles are for those in the family. All the way back to the very beginning, all the way back to creation, Genesis chapter 3, when God created Adam and Eve and he brought them together as husband and wife and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, that was the very birth of family. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're kicking off a brand new series here at Cross Culture Church entitled Modern Family. The very definition of family is anything but modern. It is, in fact, quite ancient. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at God's design and expectations for the family. It seems that the family is under attack like never before, and seeking out and then following God's design is the best hope that families have today. As we'll discover in this series, what God has to say isn't modern, but it has been the formula for a successful family since the very beginning of creation. Thanks for joining us. Now here's Pastor Clay. in modern times, right? We, we have modern technologies, right? Modern advancements, modern creature comforts. I was telling somebody the other day that when I was a kid, uh, my best friend's family uh, got the first microwave oven in Okeechobee. Nobody else had one. You got the first one, except it wasn't called a microwave oven back then. It was called an Amana Radar Range. Hey, any of y'all that are like my age, any of y'all remember that thing? Remember that? Come on. Nobody remember? Right, come on. Yeah. It's like Bob's family. They were like the first ones to get an Amana Radar Range. And it was like, it was like awesome. You could cook a hot dog in like 10 seconds. I mean, I, I remember thinking, what do they think of next? <laughs> uh, m- modern living, modernity has brought a lot of changes to our culture. Some of them good. Some of them not so good. But one thing is for certain. Uh, the, the acceleration, the, the, the push of, of the modern world, modernity will continue to push what is. An example of that, of course, is the family. The idea of family. You and I are living in a time, whether you are aware of it or conscious of it or not, you and I are living in a time where the very definition of family is being rewritten by some in our culture right before our very eyes. I don't know if you realize that now, but you're living... Being rewritten right before our very eyes, guys. And shows like Modern Family and others are 
designed to help to try to push uh, a culture's understanding and perception of what defines or what is a family. The reason that this short series that we're embarking on today, the reason that this short series is entitled Modern Family Question Mark is because the idea of family, uh, the very definition of family, quite honestly, is anything but modern. It is, in fact, quite ancient. All the way back to the very beginning, all the way back to creation, Genesis chapter 3, when God created Adam and Eve and he brought them together as husband and wife and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, that was the, the very birth of family. But just because something is old does not mean that it should automatically be assumed that it is old-fashioned or outdated. That may be true of radar ranges, but it is not true for our understanding of the family. So, uh, for the next uh, three weeks, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, looking at the expectations of the the individual parts or or persons that, that make up a family, and the preparations that are needed for that family to stand strong against the attacks of uh, the evil one, as Scripture puts it. Ephesians 6 deals with both those. And then, after we spent three weeks in Ephesians 6, then, starting Father's Day, we're going to, for three weeks, and because it's, it's a long film, it's a long documentary, we're going to be watching a, a film documentary entitled Irreplaceable uh, that I saw last year. It was produced by Focus on the Family that is the best thing I've ever seen in trying to help us as individuals and us as a culture understand why the role of the father in the home is so critically important. I hope you all can be here uh, for those three. We'll break it into three weeks because of its length, as I said. Modern family? As you might expect, God has something to say about what that is and what it means uh, to be of family. So if you happen to bring a copy of God's Word with you, open it to Ephesians chapter 6. And I hope you did bring a copy of God's Word, electronic version, hard copy, but we do provide a copy for you on the screen. Is that why y'all don't, if y'all don't bring a copy, is that why? Could we provide a copy of the screen? Because we can take care of that. <laughs> no, it's up on the screen as well. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, reading this morning verses 1 through 9. Can anybody hear me all right? Can you see me okay? Sorry about that, but here we go. Watch this. Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, okay? Children. We got any children in here? And children be defined as anyone living under the jurisdiction of their parents' home. Whether both your mom and dad are in the home or your single parent. Are there any in here? I wonder if there are any in here. Okay, I see one hand back there. Jesus, thank you. Any other? Any other? All right, all right, come on. Yeah, I see you guys over there. Just seeing if y'all are paying attention or if y'all have already gone to Facebook. (laughs) Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, 
be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With goodwill, render service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Will you pray with me this morning, Father, uh, as we uh, dive into this section of of your word, we're reminded again uh, and grateful for uh, the, uh, the validity of, the accuracy of your word. It truly is, as the writer of Hebrews says, truth without any mixture of error, dividing soul and spirit, even joint and marrow. And as I often pray, I pray today that you would do surgery on our hearts and lives. There are people in this room living under the responsibility of their parents. There are parents in this room. There are people who are employees. There are people who are employers. There are people who serve others. And today, as we look at this and how and, how and why this all fits into the family, I pray that, that each person's heart and mind, spirit, would be open to the truth of your word. Uh, again, Father God, I am honored to be your messenger boy today. Thanks for giving me the privilege of doing that. May each person in this place today and those who will watch or listen to this message, may they uh, receive the truth of your word and may... All of our lives be changed as a result of looking uh, to your word uh, for its application for our lives. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey, let's let's start with this one today. It's a good one to start, start with. Children. I'm just, giving, I'm just giving Bill a hard time. It's not easy to do, to do what the, all that stuff, especially keeping up with me because I never know where I'm headed a lot of times. So children, give obedience and honor to your parents. I just knew there's going to be a parent who was going to amen that. Children, give obedience and honor to parents. Let me read again, just real quick, verse one through three. Let me go over here because we have a good number of students over here. I'll make sure they hear me over here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So we start with that idea, that very principle. Bill, I know why you were a little late catching on to me there, because I got ahead of you, didn't I? I I was going to give you all, I had had a BP squared today. Uh, Occasionally I throw in a BP squared. Uh, BP squared stands for what? Big picture biblical principle, yeah. Uh, so big picture biblical principle uh, is going to show up as, you'll, as we go through each one of these, these persons or these, who are part of this family and this discussion of the family. Big picture biblical principle uh, looks like this. Uh, for God's sake, do what is right and for your sake. For God's sake, do what is right and for your sake. Now, when I say for God's sake, I do not mean to imply that God will be less than God if you do not do what you're supposed to do as we look at the role of children, the role of parents, the role, you know, so on and so forth. I'm not saying that God will be less than God. Uh, God, listen to me. God does not need you to do what is right, okay? God wants you to do what is right based on his desire for righteousness in his creation and based on his, his 
knowledge of us and based on his love for us, God wants us to do what is right. God knows that mankind, that left to ourselves, we can be arrogant, prideful, greedy, lustful, angry, violent, and a whole lot more. And so, so God's laws and God's rules and God's regulations, God's structure, God's systems are put in place, not, listen to me, not to restrict our freedom, which is what you hear sometimes. Oh, that's just a bunch of do's and don'ts. Why would I possibly want to, uh, not to restrict our freedoms, but to actually help us understand and learn what freedom actually is. That it's actually in being set free by the very guidelines that God gives to us. And so, as well, with these, with the family. Now, keep in mind, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. So, he is writing to those who profess a belief in Jesus Christ. They profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. And so, he he starts the conversation. Remember, Ephesians 5, just before this, is the role of husband and and wife, right? We looked at that in the marriage series a couple, few weeks ago. And and then, as he moves into chapter 6, he says, children... Obey and honor your parents. And what you'll see is the BP squared shows up uh, throughout all of this. The BP squared, y'all remember BP squared? Y'all remember what it is? Yeah. Do it right for God's sake and for yours or something to that effect. Right? You'll see that show up. Children, listen to me. Children, how many here or how many parents may make them listen to this when they go home? You should do what is right because it's for the Lord. If you're professing to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you do what is right because it honors God. Right? Notice that that reference in there? As unto the Lord. Have have you seen that phrase before? It showed up in Ephesians chapter 5 looking at the role of the husband and the wife. The same thing that we talked about when we looked at those uh, passages dealing with the role of the husband and the wife a few weeks ago. A wife submits to her husband not because he deserves it, but because God deserves it, ultimately, right? A husband dies to himself. Remember, we're talking about followers, assuming they're followers of Jesus, assuming they actually want to follow Jesus and do the right thing. Uh, a husband dies to himself, not because his wife deserves it or doesn't deserve it, but because ultimately God deserves it. He is submitting to God. She is submitting to God. And in the same way, children Obey and honor your parents, not based on whether they're a good parent or a bad parent. For goodness sake, any of us that have been parents know that on any given day, you can be either or both. So it is not based on whether your parent is a good parent or bad parent. It is based on, on your submission to God because, because you desire to, to reverence him. You desire to honor him. And so you submit to the Lord, right? Right? And notice he says, uh, and here's the, the big, that second part of the BP squared, for God's sake and for yours. Notice Paul says that this is the first uh, promise, the first commandment that comes with a promise. Y'all remember reading that? See that in there? The first commandment with a promise. He's referring specifically to the Ten Commandments, specifically the Fifth Commandment, guys. The fifth commandment, which says to honor your mother and father, and he and Exodus chapter 20 is where Moses writes it. Paul quotes it in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 3. This promise that says, honor your father with the first commandment, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, 
That does not mean that every person that honors their parent is going to live to be 108 years old. We still live in a sin-cursed world. There, there are still uh, accidents. There are still diseases. There are still that kind of stuff happens. But the promise is, and specifically when it was given to the nation of Israel, is that as you go into the promised land, if you will submit to the authority of your parents, you'll ultimately be submitting to my authority. And if you do that, you'll stay under the umbrella, if you will, of, of my blessing. And I'll be able to work and move and I'll be able to bless your life as a result of that. But if you don't, and this is what he told the nation of Israel, if you don't, if you rebel, if you go off and do your own thing, if you don't submit to me by not submitting to your parents, then the consequences are gonna be yours. The same thing can still be said today, that it is in, in submitting to him uh, that we, we, we do that we live that out by submitting to our parents. Honor and obey your parents. Soon I went to the movies uh, Friday night. Don't ask what we went to see because I, I'm pretty sure I'd have to turn in my man card uh, if I told you. <laughs> Neil's over here saying, I saw it too. I had to go see it. So anyway. So we went to the movies Friday night. Now, when Cindy and I go to the movies, we usually get a, the biggest thing of popcorn that we can get because we like popcorn. And uh, so we usually get the biggest popcorn that we can get. But lately, we've noticed that we're not, we don't seem to be eating as much popcorn as we used to, to eat. And so when we, we left there, we left the movie uh, with about half our bag of popcorn still uh, in there. And Cindy made the comment. Cindy said, you know, we're going to have to stop getting this, this big a bag of popcorn because we're not eating it. Now, I don't think there's any reason to get radical about all this, but, but anyway, but, but that, that reminded me of a story that I haven't told in a long time, so some of you haven't heard it yet, um, but it reminded me of when I was, I was 10 years old. When I was 10 years old, uh, my parents went off for the day, gone all day. All the, my brothers and sisters, they were all gone too. It was just me at the house, just me. Now, that may sound radical in this day and age to leave a 10-year-old at home. I don't know. But uh, it was quite normal uh, in my house uh, growing up. It just, it's just the way it was. So uh, they're gone for the day, and I'm there all alone all day. And did I mention that I like popcorn? I like popcorn. So, so during the day, I decided that I was going to fix some popcorn. There's a problem, though. I'm not supposed to use the stove. And remember, kids... My, my best friend, he was the only family in town that had a microwave. So, so there wasn't no microwave. If I was going to fix popcorn, you got you to get a pot. This sounds so incredibly ancient. But you got to get a pot. You got to put oil in it. And you got to put the popcorn in. You put the lid on. And the popcorn begins to pop in the, in the pot. Well, it's a funny thing about popcorn. It doesn't look like very much before it pops. You notice that? I mean, just, and I said, I like popcorn. So I, I poured in some popcorn, and that didn't look like very much, and so I poured in some more popcorn, and, and that still didn't, so I poured in some more popcorn. And sooner or later, the popcorn began to pop. And boy, howdy, did it pop. Pop, 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 I got popcorn everywhere, right? And not, I'm not supposed to use a stove, and my parents are coming home at some point. And so I'm eating popcorn, I'm eating popcorn as fast as I can. I ate popcorn, ate popcorn, ate popcorn. And it seemed like it was growing. There was still more popcorn than when I began. There was popcorn everywhere. And, and I was 10 years old, okay, right? Because you're thinking, well, isn't the house going to smell like popcorn anyway? I'm 10, I'm 10. I'm not, I don't think about this kind of stuff. And I've got popcorn everywhere. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm, and I'm kind of freaking out. I'm, I'm kind of panicking because my dad was, 
He was stern. He, he was a disciplinarian. And, and, I, and I'm freaking out. And I'm trying to think, oh, what, can I bury it in the backyard? No, the dog will dig it up. And what do I do? So, so you know what I did? You know what I did? I tried to flush it down the toilet. And, and can I tell you, there must be some sort of law of science. Can I tell you this? Popcorn floats. <laughs> Obey. Honor your parents. Now listen, listen. I, I, I think children, as they grow, I think they ought to have the right, in, a, in an honoring way, I think they ought to have the right to, to, to share how they're feeling or, or what they're thinking. I think the parent that says, that's it. I've said it, that settles it, because I said so. I, I, I think that form of parenting is, is absurd. And I say that as a parent who has parented that way. I, I think kids ought to be able, if, if they're open and they want to communicate about something, they ought to do it in an honoring way and parents have to guide that, but I think they ought to, they ought to have a chance to do that. Listen, I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know you don't think that your parents are very smart. And I know that you probably think that you can do a far better job with your life than they can. Hey, listen to me. You're going to have a chance soon enough to prove that one. But as long as you're living under their jurisdiction, you should honor and obey them. I should add one caveat to that. Um, uh, As I understand Scripture, children, and we talked about this with, with a wife's submission to her husband, children would not have to obey a parent that asked them to do something unbiblical, something ungodly. Uh, because in that case, again, the Acts 5.29 principle would apply. We must obey God rather than men. But that aside, uh, other than that, uh, children, those living under the, the responsibility of their parents, should honor and obey their parents. That's what Paul says. Okay, second one, moving on. Parents, give patience and wisdom to children. Verse uh, four, uh, look at it. Verse four says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke. (laughs) The NIV says, do not exasperate your children. I, I can stand before you today and testify that I have exasperated my children at times when they were growing up. They're no longer under my uh, jurisdiction, by the way. They're, they're out on their own. But I, I have exasperated my children at times. Can anybody relate to that? The, the NCV, I think it's the NCV, the NCV says, fathers, do not make your children angry, but raise them up with the training and teaching of the Lord. I know what y'all are thinking. Some of y'all are thinking, especially if you have kids in the teenage years. Some of y'all are thinking, the only way I'm not going to make my kid angry is if I move to Siberia alone, right? But listen to me. There is a difference between making your child angry when they are operating in the flesh and you making them angry because you are operating in the flesh. Do you understand what, what I'm saying? Do you understand the difference? That's what Paul's saying here. That, because listen, hey, right? If you've raised, I've raised, we've raised three sons. 
you're going to exasperate, your, you're going to make your kids angry, right? The question is, are you making them angry because you are acting or reacting or thinking in the flesh or because they are? Do not exasperate, but give them patience and the, and the wisdom of God. I remember one time, my boys, I think there was something, it seemed like there was something on TV. Either they were talking about something, conversation, or there was something on TV. And I made a comment about it. And my comment came from a, from a biblical perspective. Okay, so I brought, I brought a biblical perspective into whatever this conversation or comment or thing was going on. I brought a biblical perspective into it. And my, uh, my kids, they, they say, oh, dad. You always have to make everything about the Bible. Now listen, I, I can live with that one. I, I can live with that one because, because part of my responsibility is to give biblical truth to my children. Now I probably could have found a, a better timing to do it or, or a better way to do it. But this is, this is part of our responsibility. This is part of what we're called to do. But to, be, to, but to do it with patience... And to give them the wisdom of the word of God. Now, parents, that requires a couple of things from you. You listening to me? Parents, that requires a couple of things from you. It requires walking in the spirit and working in the word. Walking in the spirit and working in the word. If you're going to, to not exasperate your children because you're not operating the flesh, if you're going to do that, and if you're going to give them the wisdom, it's walking in the spirit and working in the Word. Here's what I mean. In Galatians chapter 5, a passage of Scripture that I refer to often, you guys know that if you, if you hang around me very much, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, beginning verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There, there's no law against these things. I'm just going to say it. Parents, If you are walking in the Spirit, which is just another way of saying being controlled by God's Spirit, that He has control of your life. And we've talked before about what that means and how that occurs and that kind of stuff. But if you are walking in the Spirit or being controlled by the Spirit, I'm just going to say it, you will not exasperate your children. They'll still get exasperated. They'll still get angry. They'll still get mad at times. But it will be because they're operating in the flesh and not the spirit while you are operating in the spirit. That's the only way. If you're going to be patient with them, God's spirit has to have control of you. God wants to produce his fruit in your life. Do you understand, parents? And, and kids too, but Paul's specifically addressing parents here. Parents, you understand? God wants to produce his fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Imagine if that's what's being produced in you. Not you trying to do those things, but God is producing those things in you. Imagine uh, your approach and your relationship to your kids. They may still say you're the worst parent in the world. They may still lose it. But it will not be based on the fact that you are operating in the flesh. Do you understand what, I, what I'm saying to you? Okay, real quickly. Um, uh, let, let, we better go on to the third one. There's other stuff to say, but we better go on. Here we go. Employees give diligence and respect to... Oh, by the way, before we get to that one, I did want to say this. The text, and y'all notice if you've read in the text, the text specifically says fathers. 
right? You need to notice that. It specifically says fathers. The reason it specifically says fathers is because the father, first and foremost, has, has responsibility for the spiritual nourishment and, and admonition and bringing up their, their kids. And the father, listen to me, dads, your responsibility, wives or mothers that end up having to take full load of that responsibility because of absentee dads or lazy dads or checked out dads or whatever. Moms that have to do that do an amazing job. Uh, but, but it's not an injustice to the text to, to deal with it as I did with parents because ultimately both mother and father are, if at all possible, to be engaged in raising their children. Walking in the Spirit, working in the Word. I, I didn't say a lot about that. I know we've got to move on, but I will say this to you. You can't teach your kids what you don't know, right? That, that's, that's profound, isn't it? You can't teach your kids what you don't know. Get in the Word, Parents, get in the word. I don't, I don't think I'm being overly dramatic when I say to you that, that your, your knowledge of the word of God may very well keep your children from a great deal of pain and suffering and may put them on the path to a life of abundance, of abundant living. I know they still got their choice to make and they're gonna make those choices, but I'm saying your ability with the knowledge of the word of God to give them the word of God in a Christ-like manner, not force feeding, shoving it down the throat, but giving them the word of God. So you've got to know the word of God if you're going to give them the word of God. I know you want to make every decision you can for your kids, right? And we do that, right? When they're little. When they're little, you tell them what, you pick out what they're going to wear, right? A lot of times it's the moms, maybe, but, but you pick out what they're going to wear. It doesn't take long before they start fighting you on that one, even. I was saying, my, uh, my, my granddaughter, uh, Ellie, Lauren was telling me the other day, I should call her my grand diva, Ellie. Uh, she, who'll be, she'll be two in July. Uh, Lauren said the other day, she, she tried on like five different pairs of shoes before lunchtime. She had put on five different pairs of, of shoes. I, I, I know we want to make every decision. And you, you can. You can control some of their activities. You can control some of their relationships. But sooner or later, your kids are going to make some choices and some d- decisions. They won't all be good. But all you can do is try and give them the wisdom of the word of God. Okay, all right, we'll move on. Uh, so uh, third, employees give diligence and respect to employer. Uh, and I'll explain why I refer to it in that way in just a second. Um, beginning in verse uh, five, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. In other words, those in the flesh, they're, they're, your, they're your masters. Uh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. See where Paul's going with this? With good will, render service as to the Lord. There it is again, and not to men. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. There's that BP squared principle again. A couple things to say about this. First, the Bible is not... Um, promoting or, or uh, condoning the act of slavery here, okay? Uh, God's word is very clear that all men and all women are created equal in his sight and have equal value and worth. Colossians chapter 3, I think verse 11 uh, says that here there's, there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. The Bible's very clear that, that all men. Now, in, in Jewish culture, there were people who would sometimes, uh, of their free will, 
in what would be called indenture themselves. They would become servants or slaves in a household to provide for their family, to purchase a piece of property, even to get a wife, as we find in Genesis uh, chapter 29, the story of Jacob and Rachel. They, they, would, they would come under the jurisdiction of, of some other person. But the reality is, at the time that Paul wrote this letter, it is estimated that roughly one-third of the men and women living in the Roman Empire at that time, roughly one-third of them were slaves. We're talking millions of people. Millions of people. And so Paul is simply dealing with the reality of the situation. You had men and women who, who were servants or slaves, and you had men and women who owned servants and slaves. They were coming into a relationship with Christ. And listen, by the way, it wasn't a racial thing like, like we think of when we think of, of slavery. It was an I conquered your country, now you belong to me, and you're going to do what I say thing. And so millions of people uh, were in this situation. And Paul addresses how they ought to conduct themselves, which brings us to a truth that a lot of times we don't like to hear. And it looks like this. The focus, listen to me now, the focus is not a person's status or station in life, but rather the expectation on his or her life if they are a follower of Jesus. This this is one of the hard truths of Christianity. I'm telling you right now, this is one of the hard truths of Christianity. Because we get get in in situations or circumstances that aren't right or being treated unfairly or unjustly, and we assume... That, 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 that God must not want me to be in that situation. He may not, but you cannot automatically assume it based on your circumstance. What you can assume is that God desires for men and women to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so whatever your status, whatever your station, whatever your circumstance, the point is, are you being Christ-like? Are you being the very best that you can be at what you are being? And so I I would follow that statement up with this one, to say that our station or status or circumstance in life always takes a back seat to honoring him in our status or station or circumstance in life, whatever it might be at that particular moment. Because it's always changing, right? Life is always in flux, different things, different whatever. And it's not so much about the status or the station or the circumstance. It's about, okay, here's where I am. Listen, it doesn't mean that it's wrong to pray and ask God to change it or, or to, to, to uh, redirect the situation or to open a door. There's nothing wrong with that. According to his will, there's nothing wrong with, with seeking that, but it, but it means that I'm going to be the very best that I can be, again, not because they deserve it, but because he deserves it. I'm going to be the very best servant that I can possibly be. This is where I am right now. This is my station in life. I sure hope it changes. I want it to change, but, uh, or I like where I am, whatever the case is, but, but I'm going to be the very best that I can be in that moment. When I worked, uh, when I worked for the Postal Service, uh, I had this guy one time that was a, uh, it was what's called a 204B. He was a, he was a temporary supervisor. He, they brought him in from some other office, and, uh, and they do that sometimes to give uh, people experience in management, to move them up, and the hope is to ultimately they're trying to become a postmaster. Everybody, or a lot of people want to become postmasters. And so uh, there was this guy that, that worked for us. I don't even remember the guy's name, but um, when we were some of us who were, who were uh, clerks, we were called clerks, we were letter sorters, right? Letters and flats, but no, never mind. 
So right, so we're sitting, at, so we're sitting at our at our station, and there's this case in front of us. And this is the old days; a lot of stuff is automated now. But uh, we're sitting, and we're and we're sorting. You got a handful of letters, and you're sorting them to the carriers that they go to. Right? Y'all got the picture? Am I describing it pretty vividly? It's I'm awesome. <laughs> okay, so you're looking at, and you're sorting, right? You're sorting, you're sorting, sorting. Put them in in the little slats, and then then they gets full, and you take it down, and you take it over to a tray, and you put it, and that goes to that carrier, and he's going to sort it then into the right delivery order and all that kind of stuff, right? So the supervisor, this guy, uh, he would come up, and he would do this periodically, not just to me, but to anybody that was a clerk. If if he thought you weren't moving fast enough, or he wanted you to move faster, he would come up beside you. I, I, I this. No lie. He would come beside you, and literally his nose would be this close to your, to your face. And he's just standing there, just staring. Just, and he wouldn't say a word. Just, just you're sorting, and he's just, and he, he's, that, he's that close. He's just that, that face, that, that close. I just thought this, I never thought this before, but I just thought it would have been really cool to go, achoo! <laughs> Why didn't I think of that back then? Uh, anyway, uh, so, what? Wh- What's he trying? I don't know. It's, it's, it's intimidation. It's whatever it is. It's his motivation. Listen, all of that, that made no difference to me. Because by that point, when that, when that guy came along, by that point, I was a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'd learned this principle that, that, that I, didn't, I didn't even work. I mean, yes, technically, but I didn't even work for the United States Postal Service. That's how I looked at it. I worked for God. So I was going to be the very best clerk. I was going to sort as fast as I got. He can stand there all day, but I'm going as fast as I can go. Why? Because that, that's, that's what I'd want to do for Christ. Not for him. Not, not, not for the Postal Service. Not for the Postmaster General of the United States. But for God. Does that make sense? You understand? And I make that connection because in the culture in which we live today, the, the closest connection to this, this idea of master-slave, the closest connection we would have would be employer-employee. Right? That would be, that'd be the closest equivalent that we have in our culture today. That it's about, it's about doing what honors God. That's, that's the point here. That's what we're looking at. That's what we're, that's what we're striving to do. Whether they deserve it, don't deserve it, are mistreating me, are taking advantage of me. Right? Because that stuff happens, right? And a lot of times that's what we think. But man... Clay, if I do that, if I, if I do, if you're saying just work hard as you can all the time, be honest, be courteous, be, uh, be Christ-like, be efficient, hard worker. If I do that, they're going to take even more advantage of me. They're going to abuse me even more. Yep, sure. But what's that to me? I'm a follower of Christ. I'm doing it for him. And, and I'm pretty sure that he's on his throne, as we're going to see in a second, and perfectly capable of dealing with the situation. Whatever injustices there are. And even if he doesn't choose to change the situation in his sovereignty, he knows that even if he doesn't, what does it matter to me? I'm here to, I know, I know it's tough when you're right in it and you're saying, oh yeah, it's easy for you to sit up on the stage and say that now. But did you feel that way when that guy's like right there in your face? Not always. I didn't get it right all the time. But that's the goal. That's what we're working towards. Operating in the power of the Spirit. Listen to me, I've said this before. I'll say it again, then we'll go on and close this out. If you get a hold of that idea, well, you may love your job, hate your job, be in between jobs, uh, whatever the case may be. If you get a hold of that idea, it will revolutionize what you think of, of your employment, of your job. When you understand that it's, it's, it's really not about them. It's about Christ. It's about what he wants for my life and what will honor him in the greatest way. Okay, and then finally, one more real quickly. I know we've got to close. Uh, employers give benevolence and fairness to employees. This is obviously the other end of 
of the, the, the slave employee part of this. The other side, verse 9, look what he says. And masters, look what he says, do the same things to them. Well, that, that would have been unheard of. You're, you're telling me I, I, I'm the master of this guy, this guy's my servant, and I'm supposed to treat him with honor and respect like he's supposed to treat me? If you're a follower of Jesus. And masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. See how Paul is transitioning the way, they're, they're, they're very, the, the very way they think of this relationship? This, this is changing, guys. No more threatening, you know, I'm going to cut off your food or I'm going to whip you or I'm going to... No more of that. No, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's not how you treat people as a follower of Christ. And, and he's, he's transitioning them really from, from to this place where they begin to understand this person, in the case of masters, this person is not my property. This person is my family. That's why Paul brings it up in this section of the family, because they were in the home. People, it, it, there was this relationship going on. And Paul says, that's the way you better start thinking about it. It's not about what somebody ought to do for you or what this is about. You honoring Christ. And to do that, employer, you got to treat your employees with benevolence, with kindness. I, I mentioned I worked for the post office. Let me just tell this and we'll, we'll close out. I mentioned I worked for the post office. Uh, and I, I went through, well, I worked there for a number of years. Uh, I, I had several people that served as postmasters. And the postmaster kind of runs that entire office. And I had some good ones and I had some bad ones. Uh, but uh, when, when I got this postmaster, I got a guy by the name of Dave Miller. When he came to be the postmaster uh, of the office where I worked, uh, Dave, this honest, honest goodness truth, Dave treated me more like a son than he did an employee. Now, he, he still, he still ex- expected uh, results from his staff. He still, there was still no question who ran the, the ship, who was in charge. But he had this way of making us feel like family, like it was part of his family. He was the first person, really, who convinced me that I could be a postmaster someday. It's, it's treating people with the kindness that Christ would treat them. That's what you find. He's really our model, right? He's our model. When Christ was needed to be kind, he was kind. When he needed to be stern, he was stern. Uh, when he needed to be confrontational, he was confrontational. But he always did it in a way, even if they didn't understand it, even when he was confrontational, he was actually being kind because he was giving people what they needed, whether they realized it or not. There's no perfect family. Have you all discovered that? Every family. Can I say this to you? Yeah, because you all may think well, we are the only ones. Every family is dysfunctional to some extent. That's why when people say, oh, they they grew up in a dysfunctional family. Okay. (laughs) Take a number. (laughs) Right? There's no perfect family. We're all a little dysfunctional. But when when we understand these roles and and we treat these roles based on our relationship with him, instead of our relationship with our children or, or with our parent or, or with our employer or whatever, when, when, when it's based on this, it, it changes everything about the way uh, we, we do life, the way we do family. And listen, employee or employer, when, when you, you, go, you go to work and, and that comes back into the family, it's all still connected to the family because what happens at work, I don't know if y'all notice that, but you sometimes tend to bring that home. Have y'all noticed that? 
Whatever case it is, listen, if you, if you do the best you can as a parent, as a child, as an employer, as an employee, if you do the best you can, if you seek to honor Christ, if you seek to treat people with fairness and kindness and benevolence and, and patience and, and all those things that we talked about, if, if you'll do that, when you come to the end of your day and you come home, you come to the end of your day and you lay down and you go to sleep at night, if, if you know that you've done the best you could that day to honor Christ, man, it's been a good day. That's been a good day. No matter what happened, it's been a good day. Thanks, Pastor. It is clear from Paul's teaching that God has definite expectations for every member of the family. His expectations are always for our benefit. And when we don't do family God's way, we end up with less than God intended. No family is perfect. But when we follow God's guidelines, we're on our way to a family that loves each other and honors God. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable to every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. Cross-Culture Church. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're searching for. Cross-Culture Church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to leave Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.